Hello and welcome to the Researcher Podcast, your regular look at the research that's making waves in the scientific community and the people behind it. My name is Joe Fenton and I will be your host today. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Homero Gelvin-Muziga from the University of Vienna. Homero is the author of Personality Traits and Social Media Use in 20 Countries. How Personality Relates to Frequency of Social Media Use, Social Media News Use, and social media use for social interaction. Romero, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. So before we get into your paper, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your academic career so far? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm originally from Spain, and um, I pursue a, a PhD in, in Spain in political science. And... Um, um, a little after that, I, I moved to the U.S. and I pursued another PhD in communication at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And um, uh, once I finished my studies, I remained in the U.S. where I got married and I had my first children there. So uh, we moved down to Texas where I was a professor. And uh, I also served as a uh, research fellow at the Neiman Lab in Harvard. And um, more recently, I moved back to Europe here at the University of Vienna where I also served as a uh, research fellow at the uh, 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 CTIP in Princeton University. Um, so uh, that's my background. So I, I guess that my, my interest in research lies within the convergence of those two points, political science and communication. So anything that deals with technology and with uh, politics and how things influence society uh, coming from those angles, I'm interested on that. So you have two PhDs. I'm just wondering what motivated you to look at and study mass communication in the first place? Um, well, my undergrad was in journalism. So um, uh, when I was young, I, I thought that I was going to be a journalist in my life. And then the more I studied journalism and the field of communication, the more I, uh, I grew that interest for learning about things and how things work and what were the effects of media on people and society. And I always had an interest in technology too, part of journalism, symbiotic uh, uh, relationship with technology as for how journalists perform their duties. So in the end, I, it just came a little by little. I, I started to uh, get more uh, closely related to the uh, aspects of doing research and less related aspects of performing as a journalist. If I was to break this down further, what are your main interests surrounding technology and surrounding the use of social media. Right. Um, well, I think technology and social media is obviously very related as for how we use today devices and so on and so forth. But um, if, if it was not because of technology and how technology rapidly grew in the, in the, in the past two decades, we wouldn't have social media as, as we know it. Uh, first, um, Technology and the internet allow for rapid communication and voice over internet protocols. People could all of a sudden talk and watch videos and do all these uh, marvelous things because of the internet. And one of the aspects that it influences how people socialize, how we serve information to each other and with each other. And not only from one to one, but ultimately from many to many and one to many and many to one. And that became all of a sudden social media, um, something that we all use to consume information, consume entertainment, and communicate with others all at the same time. So it's a very uh, complicated amalgam of different aspects and mechanisms and effects 
that take place in social media. But the relationship with technology is quite obvious then. Okay, and for those that may not be familiar with your area of expertise or multiple area of expertise, as we just learned, and for those that may not have read your most recent article, could you give us a brief overview of personality traits and social media use in 20 countries? Sure thing. Um, this paper is not the first one incursion that, that uh, myself uh, and, and my colleagues, either back at the University of Texas or now the University of Vienna, that we took a look to, to uh, how personality traits related to consumption of social media. The first paper we ever published it was with uh, two of my former students back in Texas, now professors, uh, uh, Correa and Winsley. And they're, they're, we were interested in learning about whether or not personality traits w- would be related at all with uh, how people consume social media. And we tested that with U.S. data back in the day. I'm talking about 2010. It was one of the first papers ever published in the area, and it became notorious and is largely cited. So growing from that interest, um, with my co-authors of this piece um, here at Vienna, but also uh, James Liu at, at Massey University, we we actually collected data massively in, in over 20 countries. And we wanted to learn about these effects, not only based on the U.S. or Eurocentric perspective, but what happened across the globe. Um, so um, we were fortunate enough to... Um, uh, get the whole high quality data from 20 countries and check the same effects of uh, personality traits may have on social media. And we advanced a few things. Um, uh, drawing from what we learned from the first uh, paper, we were interested in, in dissecting different effects of personality traits in different types of social media consumption. So social media in a, in a more general term, like how much they use social media in, in their days, in their daily lives, but also with respect, using social media purposely to consume information, news, and public affairs, and to consume or, or better said, to interact uh, socially with others in, in social media. So to, to spend time um, uh, connecting with others and socializing rather than just consuming information. And that's what we did. And um, and there you have the, uh, the findings. There, there are very specific findings that, that work across all cultures. And then there are some nuances and differences depending on the country that, that you may want to pay a closer look. So in your paper, you mentioned that the study of social media and personality traits is in its infancy outside of the, the United States. So I'm just wondering, why is this? Um, I, th- I think, yeah, it probably doesn't only happen or takes place with uh, personality traits and social media. I think for for the most part, Many of the studies that that take place and 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 set the bar or a baseline as for how technology and and not only technology, many other things will function in society. They take place in in uh, Western societies or even in the U.S. when it comes to communication, for sure. So I think there's a dire need for uh, uh, social scientists to test all our theories in in different cultural contexts and political contexts. Um, so that's one of the goals that we were able to achieve with this study, as we were able to check how things work in relation to personality traits and social media, not only in the US or UK or other European countries, but also in the countries uh, such as Turkey or Ukraine or Chile or China, Estonia, so many different countries across the globe. So in your paper, you discuss the big five 
personality traits. I just want to ask you if these are completely set in stone. Do you think there could be either more of these personality traits added? Do you think we could get a sixth or a seventh? Or could they shrink? So could you have a big four personality trait? Right. Well, the, for the most part, on the one hand, one could say they're very well established and set on stone. Um, these uh, big five personality traits have been around us for quite some time. And uh, they're based on hundreds of items. Um, in the 60s, they started to measure these personality traits and they came up later on uh, performing analytical tests and empirical tests that we were able to isolate five great dimensions. And that's why we talk about this big five. Um, lately, there are some scholars who are pursuing or pushing the idea of the of, of more dimensions. There's a sixth dimension now um, to see how altruistic uh, someone might be and personality traits that may be related to that altruism. Um, so I, I think in, in the future, we might see some more dimensions, but for the most part, these are the very well-established dimensions of the big five. And um, so uh, I see space for improvement, but, but in reality, we don't change that much ultimately. Many of, many of our personality traits uh, will, for the most part, fall within these five dimensions. Would you say that these personality traits are directly related to social media or are they broader? Yes, they are. They are related to social media. So for instance, um, we would see that regardless of the country, if, if we take all the data all together um, for these 20 countries, when someone reports higher levels of, of extraversion, they will use all social media across the board. They will spend more time in social media they will consume more news in social media, and they would they will also tend to interact and socialize more in social media. So if you're extroverted, you're going to just do everything more. Um, the same thing happens with uh, the dimension of agreeableness or being conscientious. When people are very conscientious, they they they, they uh, really spend time on making sure that everything works uh, fine, and and they take pride on finishing things up, and, and they pay attention to little detail. They will also spend more time. Um, conversely, on the other hand, uh, people who tend to be less stable or more neurotic, if you may, they will also tend to do all these things. The more stable you are, the more stable a, a person, an individual may be, the less time overall they will spend in social media and the less time overall they will spend in social media consuming news and socializing. Whereas if you tend to be more neurotic, that will lend support to the notion of you spending more time across the board. Um, interesting enough, being open to new experiences have different effects. So if you're open to new experiences worldwide with the pool data, it would indicate that you will spend more time generally in social media. Someone who's open to uh, new experiences and learning about new things, overall, they will spend more time in social media, perhaps mm, seeking ideas or, or who knows, things related to this open-mindedness. Um, however, they will spend less time consuming news and less time socializing with others. Um, so that's, that's an indication as well. And that's overall, once again, if you pay attention to individual countries, you might have different nuances and different effects. So maybe for one country, one of the things wouldn't work, or for one country, the effect of extraversion will be very strong, and in another country, it might be milder. 
So, in your paper, you argue that uh, extroverts are more likely to use Facebook in order to gather their news, whilst those that are more conscientious would use Twitter. And I'm just wondering why this is. Because in my own mind, when I think about this, I cannot come to any kind of logical conclusion. Right. So of, overall, we talk about the idea of social media as, as an amalgam of behavior and the way we ask it just to, for the sake of, of minimizing measurement error was to just ask citizens across different cultures to think about the social media platform they use the most. Um, whereas uh, uh, there might be different effects in, in, in regards of, of a particular social media platform. So perhaps uh, extroverts may use Facebook more to socialize and, and the effect will be a little bit lower when it comes to Twitter because they don't socialize that much, but they consume more information in there, for instance. Uh, however, don't, don't forget that the main effect is very similar. Those who are extroverted, they will use social media more regardless of the platform. Um, uh, there's, there's some research, although not, not in this particular piece, but other pieces that we've done and some other colleagues at different universities that you might find different effects coming from Facebook or Twitter. So if you're interested in that, you can read all the pieces out there. They're, they're also interested in, in learning more about these nuances and these differences. And um, so we'll see some, for instance, some people will, will use Twitter to uh, receive more information purposely um, versus Facebook, in which although they are also exposed to, to news, they are exposed to news in, in, a, in a more uh, um, incidental way due to their networks. Um, so there are differences when it comes to platforms, but unfortunately, this paper that's not one of the um, um, of the feasible goals, uh, as it dealt with so many countries and so many differences. We were uh, trying to uh, gather more information holistically about social media at large. So the data from this study was taken in 2015, and obviously the world has changed since then. And without putting too much of a political spin on it, you know, we see Donald Trump in the White House, Brexit has occurred, there's evidence that some countries have interfered with other countries' elections via social media. And for me personally, and I'm not sure about generally, on my social media accounts, I've seen a lot more political and social activities. So with this in mind, I'm just wondering how the results of your study may have changed if we use data from the past two years? Uh, that's a phenomenal question. I mean, I, that we will have to speculate and, and repeat, the, uh, the, repeat the test. But I think over the years we've seen that the effect of personality traits on how people consume social media are very stable. Um, so I would, if I would have to make an educated guess, I would say that personality traits will relate very similarly today as for how people use social media. Um, there might be differences on, on particular cases, like for instance, uh, trust in social media may change a little bit, but not due to your personality traits, but rather due to other other antecedents or, or other uh, sociopolitical uh, contexts. But when it comes to personality, that's, that's one of the beauties of doing research on personality traits, that whatever it is that they end up predicting, it's a very stable type of behavior. So if I'm less stable, for instance, or a little bit more neurotic, I'm going to continue to use uh, social media more for news, perhaps even more so now with Trump, 
but I don't think things will reverse. So I don't think that that changes will be in in a way that my personality traits now will predict something differently, but rather that it will emphasize or or get stronger effects, things like that. So looking at the data in this study, the Ukraine had the largest data set whilst Korea had the smallest data set. And I'm just curious to know why this is. That's that's all due to us. We um when we when when social scientists attempt to collect survey data from any given country, you want to secure what we call generalizability or, or representation. That is that the findings that you achieve may be generalizable to the rest of the population in a given country. So we have learned um, that to minimize the error and to be able to generalize information to the rest of society, you need to have at least over 12,000, 1,200 people per country that will do it for sure. Uh, of Obviously, smaller countries like Malta, you might need just a, a few hundred people in there. But if it's a large population of millions of people, you might need just about 1,000 or 1,200 people to be sure that if it's uh, correctly um, collected and randomized and so on and so forth, the data will be representative of the rest of the population. So that's what we should. We partner with Nielsen for this particular study, and we should to that goal, that objective, to have more than a 1,000 people per given country. Now, since this is um, ultimately, you are, you are to, you know, you hope for the best, but it's hard to, you can't force people to reply surveys. So you, you try to do your best and, and get good representation and so on and so forth. But the difference in sample sizes is due to that. So maybe in a country, some people reply more than another country. But we always attempt to achieve high representation and generalizability. So that's, that's what we, we want, at least a few hundred people. So before we move on to the impacts of this particular paper, I just want to ask you why minorities and females tend to use social media more. Could you define this to either a personality trait or is there something wider? Yeah, no, it's, it's, we found out why that we, it, this is a recurrent finding that we have in many different data sets. So in my teams, either in Texas or here in Vienna, every time we collect data, that's one of the things that comes once and again. And, and it's a, a systematic finding, which is minorities will tend to use more social media and for, for practically everything, uh, in general terms, in terms of time, but also to consume news and to interact with others. And <clears throat> theoretically, I can speculate theoretically as for why I think this takes place. And, and, and in one of my papers, we elaborate on this for a couple of paragraphs. Uh, but if, if you take, for instance, what others have discussed in the literature of journalism, one of the re, uh, recurrent arguments for uh, for minorities with respect to journalism is that they don't feel they are quite well represented. So, for instance, uh, a particular uh, TV channel or a newspaper or news on TV, um, they might feel they're in the U.S., if I take as an example, this white news produced by white people for white uh, audience. And uh, this has been discussed in the past in the literature uh, many times. And I think that would be part of explanation, or that could be part of explanation. Minorities may tend to feel that they are not very well represented in general mainstream media, so they may feel that they find a, a broader set of information and characteristics they feel is better for them 
in social media. So that's probably why they end up using social media more and they consume more news in social media and they interact more in social media. Um, because if you think about it, it may be a means for them to overcome hurdles to achieve uh, informational goals. Um, so it's, it's a constant in our data, not only in this data set, but all the data sets that we have collected in the US. And uh, um, finding is always uh, very similar. Since, since for the past decade, minorities tend to use social media more than whites. I have to agree with your speculation, and I hope that there will be an academic paper produced soon that will address this issue. And I'm sure that would be an extremely interesting read. So moving on to the impacts of this piece, I just wanted to ask you, what impact do you reckon this paper could have in either the academic world or the real world? I, I hope, I, I can only be hopeful. I, you know, I, I, uh, you can never predict how a, a paper or a piece of study is going to do. Um, you always tend to think that when you write a paper, is you do it because you think it's going to be influential, it's interesting, but then the uh, larger academic community ends up judge, judging that and citing the paper. I think it will be well cited and I hope, I'm hopeful that it, it may serve as a, as a stepping stone for other studies to pay more attention to differences when it comes to um, different cultures and contexts. We definitely need more of, of those. We need more studies that take into account different countries in, in different geographical places and with different political, social political context. Unfortunately, it's very expensive to collect data such as this one. We rely on a large grant that we receive. Um, otherwise, it's just very hard to collect data from, uh, from many different places at once. Um, and, and as for the finding itself, I think that the, the, the findings are very interesting. And uh, I just hope that more theory will be tested and, and created because of this finding and people uh, may, may use them in their own studies. I think one of the next steps, obvious next steps, is to start paying attention to the things that we discussed earlier. Um, did you, did you, uh, uh, Joe, you mentioned too when you discussed like differences from platforms? Is it the same on Twitter or here or there? I think there will be um, things that we will have to pay attention to when it comes to personality traits and and different different aspects of social media. Perhaps not so much about platforms. I think a good hint on doing impactful research in the future is rather than platforms, what they are doing with those platforms. So I think personality traits may be very consistent in explaining that if you're extroverted, you will consume news on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and so on and so forth. But I think rather than paying attention on the on the platform itself, I think we have to develop new theories and be uh, creative as, as for thinking what else is there that you can predict. So for instance, if I am very uh, um, stable, I might use just social media to consume information. But when I'm neurotic or unstable, maybe I'm just, you know, tapping on my ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend to see all the time what they're doing. So unhealthier behaviors when it comes to social media. Those are, I think, the little things that we need to be paying attention in the future rather than just dividing platforms, paying attention to behavior. And so this paper was published in a well-regarded journal. But I just wanted to ask you what the whole process of publishing is like, just to get your thoughts on publishing in general. 
the process itself, well, this this probably needs a, a different conversation altogether. <laughs> but uh, um, it's recurrent argument and discussion in in the in the academia. Um, some people are advocating for open sources, that is, that you publish and is open to everyone, not only the uh, the uh, academic uh, community, but anyone who wants to read about them. And um, and for the most part, we all advocate for that. But we are trapped in a system in which you want to publish in the best journals because you, for professors or early career professors, they'll be eventually judged in where they publish uh, to promote. So when when you're uh, the stability of your job and your salary and so, so many other things and your reputation depends on on these publications. You want to publish in those journals that are the best journals in your field. And those journals, ultimately, they are controlled by a handful of publishers. Oxford, um, Rutledge, uh, Elsevier, uh, the Dutch company. So in the end, there's a handful of companies that, 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 that take care of a business. And if you think about it, these, these, these journals are run by professors. We all are serving as editors of the journals or boards or, or members of the academic boards in the journals and we review for them and we review for free because it's part of our duties in academia for, for the sake of, of the field and the sake of knowledge and we publish for free. So in the end, it's a free labor all around and, and then they charge thousands of dollars to our own universities that they pay for us to have access to it. So if you think about it, it's a system that is... Uh, on, on, on the one hand, very awkward, but on the other hand, very necessary because we all need to publish in the best journals. Um, I like few journals that ultimately have come to become leading journals in our discipline and they're open. Like, for instance, the, the one that I just mentioned earlier, the Journal of Computer Mediated Communication. It's a completely open journal. You can go to the link of the journal right now and to the website and read any paper for free. Um, the International Journal of Communication, which is based in the uh, University of South uh, California, Southern California, I'm sorry. Uh, it's published for free and it's open access. And there are many journals that they're adopting that. I think Sage and the Savior and the Oxfords and so on and so forth ultimately will become a little bit more open-minded to the system. They offer now a hybrid possibility of making your, your publication open but you have to pay a steep fee to do it. So sometimes you have, if you have a large grant, you may be able to pay for your publication to be free, freely available to everybody. So you see that this is an ongoing conversation and, and it doesn't have an, an easy, straightforward response or solution. And again, it goes back to this whole idea of publish or perish. Absolutely. I think that is a sentence that is still valid today. Yeah. Publish. Um, and we all have to publish in the best outlets and compete for the, for the best publications to, to place our studies in there. And it's very hard to publish in, in those journals and, and the acceptance rate is quite low. So, um, it's, it's, it's a hard, it, yeah, it's, it's a sentence that I think is still completely valid. Publish or perish. And, and depending on what you publish, um, you, you, your job and your, um, your work and your, your, your the impact of your work may, may be quite different and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad i think the system is is imperfect so obviously you've had a very successful career you've moved around from university to university you've got two phds so i'm just going to ask you who's 
influenced your academic work the most and also impacted you as a person? Oh, wow. That's a very interesting question. Um, I, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm influenced to, to a large extent by the Wisconsin, what I call the Wisconsin School, as where I got my communication PhD degree. My advisor, Davansa, he was a fundamental piece in, in a fundamental role in, in my development as academic. Also colleagues that they're now professors, but back at the time were students like me, my cohort, like Professor Hernando Rojas, he's Colombian, but he's a professor now also in, in the University of Wisconsin. Or Jaho Cho, he's a professor at the University of California now. We studied together and I learned a lot of statistics from him as well. So I've been influenced by my cohorts and my advisor and my mentors. And then academically speaking, also my work is influenced by the people I read. Um, and obviously, and most of us, if I, if I dare to, to state, we're nobody if, if we were not just standing in, in the shoulders of giants, right? So, um, I learned from others who have, um, paved the ground for me to, to continue to work and, and learn. Um, Lance Bennett, um, Verba, um, Maxwell McCombs. There are many colleagues out there actually that I couldn't cite them all. If I started saying names, they would probably get mad at me because I didn't mention them. But there are from whom I, I learn and I continue to learn from them every, every day. And not only people who are well-established, I continue to learn. That's part of our job and that's part of why I love this life so much. I continue to learn from colleagues and, and uh, junior and senior alike. Uh, I love my lab that I, that I discuss and work with people who are starting or they are postdocs and they, they get to become great influential people on their own. Uh, like my former student in Texas, Sebastian Valenzuela, he's a very well-known scholar today. Or uh, more recently, one of my postdocs here at the University of Vienna, Brian Wicks, who's a professor now at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and he's doing uh, phenomenal work and, and a bright fellow, bright young man, and he'll become very famous eventually. Um, so that's that's part of, of why I, lo I love this life, that, that you keep constantly discussing and, and working with, with bright people all the time. That's um, a really, really beautiful way to put it. So I don't think anybody else has given this piece of advice so far. And I guess you can use this advice in every single aspect of your life, not just in academia. So my next question revolves around productivity and academic productivity. So I'm just wondering if you've got any advice or tips to help increase other people's academic productivity. Um, well, my, my tips have worked for me, but it might not be a good tip for anyone else. <laughs> but for me, I think I've, I've become very structured in my time. So we meet once a week with the, the Media Innovation Lab that I direct in Vienna. We meet every week for three, four hours, and that uh, gives ground to establishing what we need to do, the homework for the rest of the week. And we are very independent. Uh, all the people who work with me and collaborate with me we're all very independent in, in, in advancing things on our own, and then we get together and, and we discuss it. Um, setting some time to, to write is important, so you can you can uh, you know, to run analysis and, and, and move on yeah. with with the studies. Yeah. Obviously, that, that takes time. So I try to also uh, 
select the teaching in such a way that it doesn't spread out massively throughout the week. So I can teach one in one in two days and then I have more time to, to rest of things. And then Fridays, I devote Fridays most of the time just to, to read papers and, and perform reviews. I, I'm, I'm part of over 20 editorial boards. So I, I constantly have pieces and studies that I need to give feedback to. Um, so Friday became my, my reading day. And every Friday, I, I devote the entire morning to just read papers and, and finish reviews. Uh, so as you see, it's, it's, it's a structure, but this by no means means that it's a successful structure for everybody. I guess that, that everyone will have their own, their own ways. Um, but that's how I, I came to do things for, for my own sake. Okay. And so for my last question, and probably one of my most favorite questions to ask, is advice for either a PhD or an early career academic, what would you say to them? Um, I, I, would, I would try to tell them to enjoy the ride because if you don't enjoy what you do, you're not going to succeed. Um, and I know that, that the field is becoming more pressing, public or Paris, and too many demanding issues to take attention to and be a great teacher at the same time, of course, and, and uh, socialize and all these things. In the end, it might become to that end for, for, uh, for early career uh, professors. But ultimately, if you enjoy what you're doing, you're going to do research and, and you're going to have this great work. So uh, I would just tell them to try to enjoy the ride and, 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 and work with others. That would be my, my advice. But, but as I said, I, I don't have a magic explanation as for how things work. Um, also, perhaps to be protective of, of their time as much as they can. I know that when we start our careers, you want to collaborate and you want to help so much the department, the university, society. You want to give every talk possible. You want to help everyone. But uh, ultimately, you need to set time aside so you can move your own research forward. Amazing. Thank you so much. Well, that's just all we've got time for today on the Researcher Podcast. We've been joined by Homero Gildinuziga from the University of Vienna. Homero? Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. It was my pleasure to be with you, uh, Joe. Thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to uh, seeing the podcast somewhere. And thank you for listening, everyone. Until next time. You've been listening to The Researcher Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. You can also follow us online at www.researcher-app.com or alternatively, you can drop me an email at joseph.fenton at researcherapp.com. Researcher is free to use on iOS, Android or on your web browser. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to leave us a review.